grace, mercy, and peace be yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I heard a story on CBC Radio just a, a few days after I got here last summer. A story about a man named Bill Marshall. The story came during a segment called This Is That with Peter Oldring and Pat Kelly. Now before you start questioning what Vicar was doing listening to Canadian public radio, remember I had just gotten here, I had no idea what any of the good stations were. So here I am listening to this program. I have no idea what kind of a program it is. And here's this guy, Bill Marshall, being interviewed by Peter Oldring. And Bill says that, that he had graduated the University of Waterloo back in 1978 and then started working for some corporation as an unpaid intern. He had worked his way up at, to this point at, to the the VP of Global Operations, where he was now overseeing some 700 or more employees worldwide. And now the, the latest turn of events was that Bill had, had received an offer to progress to CEO of his corporation. And he said, that's it. I give up. I'm fed up with this company. I'm done with them. I'm sick of waiting for my big break. But Bill, Peter said, CEO is, is great. Why would you turn down a job like that? Well, because it's not paid, Bill said. After 35 years, I'm still here as an unpaid intern. I've been interning for them as vice president of global operations, and now they're asking me to take up this intern job as the CEO of the corporation. And I'm starting to feel like I'm getting taken along for a ride here, Peter. I mean, I have to stop and ask myself the question, why should I work for nothing? And it was somewhere in there that I realized this was not a credible news source. This, this was a satire. It had to be. Because who would actually work for their entire life, for 35 years, for absolutely nothing? No one, right? There's, there's just no way. It, it wouldn't make sense. But when you think about it, the same thing is true about Christianity. The more we dig into to what it really means to be a Christian, the more we see this idea of working for nothing. And it just doesn't seem to make any sense. And so we ask ourselves, why should I work for nothing? Why should I put others before myself? What's, what's the point? Once again, we'll turn to Scripture for the answers. And this week we're going to be looking at that section of 2 Corinthians that Pastor read just a few minutes ago. In this letter to, to the church in Corinth, one of the big ticket items that, that the Apostle Paul was writing to them about was this collection, an offering which was being taken to help out the church in Jerusalem, which was going through some pretty rough times. 
The people in that church in Corinth were starting to question the wisdom of sending that offering, though. Starting to ask questions like, why should we help out the Jerusalem Christians when they've never done anything for us? How is that going to help our situation? Wouldn't we be better off spending our money here in Corinth, or or at least here in Greece? Well, the answers that Peter gives them applies to far more than, than just their situation. And it actually covers a lot more than gifts of money. Really what, what Paul, sorry, not Peter, what Paul tells them here applies to, to anything any of us does as Christians for anyone else. So if you find yourself asking the question, why should I work for nothing? Then, then listen up, because in this one passage, God gives us three reasons. It says, first of all, serve me, serve your God, because when you do that, it glorifies God. Second, when you serve, it builds up, it strengthens the church. And, and lastly, when you serve, you, the, the one working, the one doing the service, are going to be blessed. That last reason is actually the one that Paul starts with. And he doesn't put it first because it's the most important. He puts it first because he knows where Satan hits us the hardest. And that's selfishness. Take a moment and think about that. If you think of any of your sins, any of your shortcomings, any of your failures... And you trace those all the way back to the beginning. How many of them ultimately stem from selfishness? I think you'll find it's, it's quite a few. I can remember learning in confirmation class as I was growing up that every single sin is a sin against the first commandment. Because the first commandment, you, you shall have no other gods. Every time we sin, we're, we're valuing something or someone else more than we value God. We're making that thing or that person a God. And I think you'll find that 99% of the time, one of the things, one of the people that we're valuing more than God is ourself. So you can really say every sin is a, is a sin of selfishness because when we sin, what we're doing is putting our interests above God's interests. Well, Paul, Paul knew that. And he realized that, that the biggest thing that was going to be getting in the way of people, preventing them from giving or from serving God, is that they thought they were going to come out at a loss. That if they gave up their money or their time for God, they'd never get it back. So he starts us off here with, with an analogy. He's talking about a farmer sowing his crops. So, so think about that. If you had a certain amount of grain and you want it to last as long as possible, the best thing for you to do with that grain would be to plant most of it in the ground so that over the course of the year it would grow and yield a, a harvest and you would wind up with way more grain than you started with and then you could do it again and again as time goes on. Take a, a handful of three-year-olds, though. 
give them a little pile of seed, tell them whoever has the most seed left at the end of the year is going to win a bunch of free candy. And you'd be pretty hard-pressed to talk those three-year-olds into, into walking outside and throwing their seed on the ground and then covering it up with dirt. It wouldn't really make sense to them because in order to, to bury it in the ground, they, they have to give it up. They would lose control from that point on over what happened to that seed. And that's not something they'd be very likely to do. Probably they'd, they'd be more likely to take that seed, put it in a box, and hide it under their bed somewhere where they knew it would be safe, where they knew they could pull it out at the end of the year to, to get that candy. So what you would have to teach them is that when they throw it in the dirt, when they cover it over, they might lose control of it. But God never does. And when we put seeds into the ground, God blesses that seed and he causes it to grow. It grows up into a plant that's, that's going to produce maybe 10, maybe 100 times more seeds. And so in the end, they'd wind up with way more seeds than they ever started out with. In our situation, we are the ignorant three-year-olds. And the Apostle Paul is the one doing the teaching. We've got our time our money, our resources, our abilities, and we've got a, a good handful of those things. It seems to be that the rules of the game are whoever has the most at the end wins. So it just doesn't seem to make sense to give any of that up. It doesn't make sense to donate time or money to the church because when we do that, we lose control over it. We have to give it up. And that's not something our, our selfish nature likes very much to do. We don't want to come out at a loss because we're giving things to the church. What Paul is trying to teach us here is that just like with that seed, even though we give up our time or our money or our talents, even though we lose control over it, God never does. He's going to take whatever it is that we give him, whatever it is that we put in, and he's going to bless that. He's going to make it grow. So that in the end, we're going to come out with way more than we had when we started. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Really? You really think it's going to work out that way? God says, really? If you go back a few verses before our Old Testament lesson this morning in, in the book of Malachi, God gave a very similar promise to us. And, and he knew, God knew that we would be just as skeptical that 
giving to the church, serving the church, would, would wind up blessing us as, as a three-year-old would be that the best way to keep his seed and to have the most at the end of the year would be to throw it into the dirt. And so God does something here in, in Malachi chapter 3 that calls out to that childish part of our minds. He, he issues something that we cannot ignore. A triple dog dare. He says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. I dare you, he says. Try me. Now, if I plant corn, I'll get more corn. If I plant wheat... I'll get more wheat. There's no way around it. That's, that's the way nature works. And so this is where the analogy fails when it comes to service. Because the, the reward that we will reap for our service in the church is not limited to what we put in. And what we get back can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. What, what will my blessing be, we might wonder. When is it coming and how... How much will it be? Look at verse 8 in your text. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's in it for me? Question that was just as prevalent in, in first century Greece as it is in 21st century Canada? Well, here's your answer. If you serve God, if you serve His church, He promises that He will always bless you with everything you need. And that might be where Paul spends the most ink in this part of his letter. But it's, it's the least still of all the reasons he gives for serving God. And he hinted at that in verse 11, which we just read again. I'll read it one more time. You will be made rich in every way, he said, but that is in order that it's so that you can be generous. Because the bottom line when it comes to serving is that it's not about you. It's not about what you're going to get out of it for yourself. The bottom line when it comes to serving is, is that you're doing it for someone else. It's what they are going to get out of it. It's about helping others. Jesus didn't have a whole lot of personal gain that he was going to get out of, out of getting down on the ground and washing his disciples' feet. It was a, it was a grimy, dirty chore. And usually the job of foot washing was reserved for the slaves. It didn't make any sense for a lord or master to be washing the feet of his servants. It wouldn't have made any sense for, for a, a teacher to be washing the feet of his students. And it certainly did not make any sense for God Almighty to be washing the feet of sinful human beings. But he didn't do it because it made sense. 
did it because he loved them. And because he wanted to set an example for them of how they could show that love to others. The disciples didn't understand, they didn't realize it at the time. But Jesus was foreshadowing something far greater that was about to happen. When he got down and, and washed their feet clean of dirt and dust with the water from that basin, he was pointing them forward to the washing that was coming. When he was going to wash their hearts clean of the sin and guilt, not with water, but with his holy, precious blood. It didn't make sense for God to wash the feet of selfish sinners. And it made no sense at all for him to give up his life and die for them. But he didn't do it because it made sense. He did it because he loved them. He did it because he loves you. It doesn't matter how dirty your feet are. Jesus loves you. I'm not talking about mud in between your toes. I'm talking about your sins. No matter how great your sins are, no matter how deep your guilt is, your Jesus loves you. His love for you does not depend on you. And that's an important thing to remember. Because there are going to be days, there are going to be times in your life when you will feel as though no one, no one at all, could possibly love you because of what you've done. You feel like if, if anyone found out about what it was that you did, they would never be able to forgive you. Well, Jesus does not love you based on what you've done. Jesus is love. And that will never change. No matter what you do. Jesus is love. And he gave his love for you. He gave himself for you. And now he's sending you out into the world to share that love with all the people around you. So as we live as Christians, there are going to be things that we do that don't make a whole lot of sense to the world around us. Because the world is, is a very me-oriented place. Everything the world does revolves around that question, what's in it for me? It certainly didn't make sense to the pagan Corinthians that these people in their city were, were sending money off to help some folks over in Israel. But the Corinthian Christians weren't doing it because it made sense. They were doing it to, to thank their God who had showered so much love and so many blessings on them. They were doing it to fill the needs of people in the same way that God had filled their needs. It may not make sense for you to serve in the ways that you are serving in the church, especially when you consider some of the people that you're serving. Maybe even what some of those people have done to you. But we don't serve because it makes sense, in that sort of a sense. We serve because we're thanking 
our God, who even though they don't deserve it, even though we didn't deserve it, came and served us. He didn't serve us half-heartedly. He served until his heart gave out. Until his very life expired. As he hung on the cross to pay for our sins. And so we serve wholeheartedly to give thanks to God. We serve to, to show him our thanks, to praise him. And as we serve, his church is strengthened. The time and effort that you give here, the offerings that you give, strengthen your fellow believers. They see the work that you are putting in. They see your, your generosity. And what they're really seeing is that love of Jesus shining through you, that, that light of Christ in your life. And that builds them up. It, it encourages them. It strengthens their faith. And, and more than even that, your, your service is more powerful than that because beyond strengthening the, the faith of your fellow believers, it reaches outside the church. Because outside the church, there are people watching you. They see the way you live your life. They see your, your Christian actions at work, and they start asking questions. They start asking themselves, why does that person do those things? Why does he work for nothing? Why does she serve the way she serves? Your service has the power to attract people. And what it is attracting them to is that very gospel, that very salvation which, which fills us with the joy that sends us out to do those things. Your service builds and strengthens the church. So, why should I work for nothing? Because when I work, I will be blessed. Better than that, when I work, others will be blessed through me and the church will be strengthened. But most importantly, because when I serve, God is glorified. That's what Paul was talking about in, in verse 12 of our text. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Christian ser service is not just horizontal. It's vertical. And what I mean by that is, is whatever it is you're doing, whether it's something you do here on a Sunday or something you do at home or work or at school during the week, you aren't just showing love to the people around you. You're also praising and thanking and glorifying your God. And ultimately, that's what anything we do as Christians is about. Giving thanks to our God. We, we do it in response to the great love that he showed to us through Jesus. And in addition to your acts of thanksgiving, your acts of service being your personal thanks to God, there's the added result that they lead others, the people that you are serving, to thank and praise God on account of you. So, why should I work for nothing? There's the question we started out with. 
a question that people outside of Christianity looking in are, are going to want to know the answer to before they hop on board. But it's also a question that I know a lot of us here who have been Christians maybe for quite some time find ourselves asking again and again and again. Why should I work for nothing? The answer that we get from scriptures is that you shouldn't. Maybe more accurately, you won't. You won't be working for nothing. I have been humbled by the amount of service, the incredible amount of service, that I have witnessed here at Cross of Life over the past year. And I thank and praise my God on account of you. I have seen people work themselves to the bone, to the point of exhaustion for their God. I have seen sacrifices made that, that could easily lead to frustration. Brothers and sisters, know that your work is not for nothing. Know that your work is not in vain. Find encouragement in the knowledge that your service for the church is building up the people around you who you are serving. And, and continue to serve boldly and, and confidently and generously, remembering that God promises to give you everything you need and that he will bless you more and more the more you serve him. Yeah, we serve a lot here at Cross of Life. But we can always do more. We can never serve enough. Because our service is simply our act of thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God for the love and salvation and forgiveness and grace and all the other blessings that he has given to us. There's no way what we give back can ever compare to what he has given to us. The closing verse of our text this morning says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That gift is his grace. The love he showed us when he died on the cross of life. To take away your sins and to give you life. So let's live our lives in thanksgiving to him. Worshiping him through everything we do. Amen. Now may the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus, which is indescribable, beyond our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord until life everlasting. Amen.